welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Welcome to you all. Welcome to you all. If you don't have a Bible, you might need one. We'll be in the book of John. There are black Bibles in the pews in front of you. If you'd like to grab one or turn yours on, that would be awesome. Um, my name's Micah. Again, I'm the lead pastor here at this little church we call Awaken. So glad to be here with you all. It's fall kickoff. Fall kickoff is today, everybody. Go Vikings. Go Vikings. A um, couple of things. Yeah, sorry. Those of you who don't like the Vikings, you're welcome to. We like you. We love you, in fact. We love you and we like you. I often say, like, as a Christian, I am called to love you, but I don't have to like you. We love you and we like you. So, um, big thanks to James last week who filled in for me as I was sailing in the Apostle Island. So, thank you, James. Appreciate that. Wherever you are, I saw you. I got to go sailing, you guys. It was so much fun. So much fun. I loved it. It was just great. I sail! Dr. Marvin! I'm sailing. And seriously, if you work in the kids' community in any way, shape, or form, would you please rise to your feet, if you would, if you work in the kids' community? Yes, don't be shy, don't be shy, don't be shy. These guys, week after week, month after month, volunteer and love our kids. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, so appreciate you. Um, and, and for uh, all of you who work tirelessly to get kids' community at both hours, so grateful. Um, speaking of the Vikings, uh, we didn't have that schedule in hand when we were planning the studies, so if you've been paying attention, there is a Bible study scheduled tonight right around kickoff. I, get, I, reckon, I reckon most of you probably will not be coming to that Bible study, and because of that fact and the fact that we have one at 6 a.m. on Wednesday and 6.30 on Wednesday, there's two options, early and late. Uh, on Wednesday, we're, we're going to cancel that study that's tonight. So if you were planning on coming to that, I apologize. Um, it's not that we don't love the Bible. <laughs> I would just really like to watch that game. And I was going to lead that study. So um, we'll, be, we'll be doing that the third Sunday of next month. We'll start that up. So um, without further ado, did you know that there are five new life groups that are starting Today? Yep, so if you're interested in a life group, maybe you've been around awake in a while and you've been wondering what life groups are. Uh, these are groups that meet outside of Sunday morning for the purpose of community and relationships. Uh, to be known, to know and be known is what we say. Um, and those meet um, anywhere from six people to like 15 people. They meet all over the city. And hopefully, the conversations we begin here on Sunday mornings continue there. You can't get everything you need in terms of like living a faithful Christian life coming to church on a Sunday morning. I'm a firm, firm believer in that. So um, we want to offer those, uh, and those of you who lead them, so grateful to you all, uh, but those are all on the website. If you're interested, check those out, or you can connect with Jane Berg. That's Jane at AwakenCommunity.com. All right. Wasn't there a cell phone commercial that used to do that? Great. Here we go. Three and a half years ago, you guys, you might be wondering why there is a fence and a fountain. Thank you. I like it. I like the, the noise as well. Um, three and a half years ago at Awaken, we did a series called Wells and Fences. Wells and Fences. And uh, quite frankly, I couldn't find a well, so I got a fountain. So you have to just make that work. Wells and Fences. Here's the deal. 
Wells and Fences became uh, one of the most important series that we had done to date in our church. It really um, helped define and shape uh, the trajectory and the DNA of this community. It's the most requested series that we uh, have online. It's the most shared series. I meet people, and I've never met them before, and they live in another state, and they're like, I listen to Wells and Fences, which blows me away, you know, the modern-day internets and whatnot. But uh, this series, it really did shape our culture, and it shaped our church. I'm curious, by show of hands, how many of you were not here when we did Wells and Fences? Please raise them high. Look around you. Yeah, Okay. <laughs> It's pretty clear that God has been up to something in the last couple of years at Awaken, and we celebrate that. We celebrate that. Many of you have come and found a home and a community and a place to do life and use your gifts and serve and get to know one another, and that is a good, good thing. Did you know that healthy things grow? When things stop growing, they die. So that's good. We celebrate that in every way possible. It also means that we need to keep coming back to what shapes us and what defines us. It means that we have to keep coming back to things. And so usually in the fall, we take this time to do a series that connects to who are we as a church and where are we headed. And so that's a bit of what we're doing here. Um, it also, it, it, we need to not assume that everybody knows the story and everybody knows um, what wells and fences even means. There's a guy named Andy Stanley who says that vision leaks. And so as the job, it's the job of the leader or the pastor or the, the CEO or the manager to always remember to put in front of and, and gather people around, this is who we are and this is what we do and this is why we do it. If you go into a church on a Sunday morning anywhere in the United States, you will find a particular culture. That's the thing that you feel but you can't put your finger on. It's the thing that you experience but you can't name it. That's DNA, that's culture. And what we want to do in this series is really try to get at what's in the center, what's the DNA, what's the culture that informs the experience that people have when they come to this church? And can we be intentional about it? I think that we can. So that's what we want to do. When my wife and I started thinking about having kids, uh, we, start, we asked this question, like, what kind of a house do we want to be? You know, if you think back to where you grew up in your neighborhood and there were different people's houses and some of them had the certain, like, there was always the kind of one that smelled a little odd where you walked in and you're like, that's not my smell. You can't smell your own smell, but you can smell other people's smell. You know what I mean? You'd walk in and you're like, oh man, I hope my house doesn't smell like that. And there was that house. And then there was the house where like everybody wanted to be at. Do you know what I'm talking about? So we started thinking like, what kind of a home do we want? And we stumbled on this passage, this poem that I want to read for you. And it's called The Place Where Grace Lives. All the neighborhood kids want to hang out at the house where Grace lives. There's more dirt to be swept. There are more snacks to be made. The grass doesn't grow outside the back door or under the swing. But kids show up. They hang out. They get loved where Grace lives. The dust may be a little thicker on top of the TV and the closet's a bit cluttered, but hearts have been tended where Grace lives. There's always enough for one more where Grace lives, one more for dinner, one more to sleep over, one more hug, one more kiss. The lights stay on late where Grace lives. Grace stays up to listen, to hug, wipe away tears of disappointment and pain. You can often see people dancing where Grace lives because Dad hung up the phone, turned up the music, and yelled, dance party. Sometimes the children just watch from behind their cereal boxes and catch a glimpse of the grace of a silly mom. You can hear things like, please forgive me, I was wrong. I'm disappointed, but I love you. You are my treasure, my blessing. Let me pray for you. The eyes of the kids where grace lives shine with joy 
and anticipation. They have not been wounded by impossible expectations. They have not been distanced by rejection. They have been embraced, accepted, and loved because they belong in the house where grace lives. That's the kind of house we wanted to create. That's the kind of home we wanted to be when the kids around the neighborhood talked about our house. We wanted them to say things like that. And so if that's the kind of house that we wanted to create as a family, this series is asking the kind of, this question of what kind of church do we want to be? What do we hope people say when they come and they experience this thing that we call Awaken? What do we hope and pray for? What are the actions and the attitudes that we want to cultivate and be intentional about at Awaken? It's also a series that will explore six affirmations. So it's going to be seven weeks. And this denomination that we're a part of is called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And there are six affirmations that stand at the center of this group of people. I grew up in a church and denominations really weren't important to me. They may not be important to you. So this isn't about waving a denominational flag or saying like the covenant's better than the Baptists or anybody else. But it is about saying if this is the family that we sit down at the table with, we probably ought to know like what kind of food do they serve around here. Is it lutefisk or... Swedish or meatballs or, you know, you, know, you know what I mean? And I am convinced that, uh, th- well, I'll say it this way. The closer and closer I get to the center of this little group of people called the covenant, the more I fall in love with it. The way in which, they have se- the way in which they've organized themselves around these affirmations and how they've done life together over the last hundred years is inspirational and I think really important. Um, and so I find it... Uh, I think it's important for us as a community and for you to know a little bit of that story. So that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to look at those affirmations and we're going to do it with this metaphor of wells and fences. So there you are. Stand if you can, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, the gospel writer says this, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as he did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet, and our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. 
God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one who is speaking to you, I am he. Pray with me. God, as we gather this morning and we study your word, as we open up this text and this story, and we explore this idea of what does it mean to be your church, I pray that you would inform us, that you would, that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that you would speak to us, that you would call us and invite us uh, one step further, one step closer to what you've always dreamt for when you thought about your church. I pray in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. This is a fascinating story for lots of reasons. John is an amazing writer. Uh, He uses all kinds of beautiful images and metaphors all through his gospel. And there's a couple of things that John keys us into that I want to sort of draw out real quickly as we begin. One of them is Samaria. If you don't know the story of the Bible and, and the New Testament and the Jewish people, you may not know that Samaria is just north of Jerusalem. And the Samaritans were absolutely hated by the Jewish people. Because they were Jews who intermarried with Gentiles. They were Jews who were ethnically and spiritually Jewish who who didn't retain that, but rather married other folks who were not Jewish. And so they were just despised. There's ancient rabbinic literature that has prayers where the rabbis would pray, I pray that I'm not a woman, a Gentile, or a Samaritan. Samaria, Samaria was just north of Jerusalem, and often people would, if they were going from Jerusalem to Galilee, they'd have to go through Samaria, that's the shortest distance between two points. But they would go around it because they didn't want to go through that town. So John says that Jesus finds himself in Samaria and he's speaking to a Samaritan, the hated half-breeds in the north. Think Game of Thrones. Not only that, but it's a woman. Now, in 2016, that might not be shocking or surprising, but in this day and age, it would have been very shocking and very surprising, which is why she responds the way she does. That Jesus, a man, a Jewish man, engages in conversation, a Samaritan who's a woman. Culturally, not cool. Yet Jesus does it anyways. And he does so at noon, a a, a detail that we probably skip over if we're reading the story. John says, she's at the well at noon. Why does he tell us this? It tells the story of a woman who is embarrassed and ashamed of her past and her present to the degree that she goes to the well at noon, which is the worst time in the whole day to go gather water in the desert. The hottest part of the day, people would go gather water in the cool part of the day or in the evening. So you would never go to the well in the middle of the day in the hot sun at noon. So John says essentially, this is a woman who ensured her aloneness by going to the well at noon. This is a story about a woman who's outside of in in like every category. Culturally, she's outside of in because she's a woman. Religiously, she's outside of in because she's a Samaritan. Morally and ethically, she's outside of in because she's had five husbands and the man she's living with isn't her husband. So she's got a past. We'll say she has a colorful past. One of my friends was introducing his, uh, another friend at his church, and my friend Andrew pastors a very white church in Providence, Rhode Island, and he was introducing his friend Christian, who is not white and not from Providence. And it said, Christian, who has a very interesting and colorful past. <laughs> Christian's like, is that what they call growing up in the hood now? An interesting and colorful past. Why don't you just say I grew up in the hood? 
So this woman had an interesting and colorful past. Friends, she's outside of in. All of the fences that had been erected in her culture and in her time had her literally standing on the outside looking in in every way possible. And what's absolutely fascinating is how Jesus responds. They lived in a world like we live in a world where fences are very common, where people build them to ensure who's in and who's out. Fences to protect those on the inside from those on the outside. Fences to ensure that the power systems that are in play stay in play. Fences that ensure those on the inside know the boundaries and how far you can go before you get whacked. Fences are not a new phenomenon. And Jesus' response to this whole situation is just fascinating to me because religious people are often the best fence builders. Amen? And Jesus, a religious teacher, seems to bypass all the cultural fences that are clear to anybody who's watching, and his response is quite alarming. His response is to offer an encounter with living water, which seems a little bizarre. Like, what does that even mean, living water? Well, if you're in Jesus' day, you know that anytime you go to the, to the temple to worship and you're unclean, you would enter what's called a mikvah. You can look this up on the Googles. They're beautiful. They were often hewn right out of the rocks. There'd be steps that went down into them. And the mikvah was a very deep pool that you would enter into if you were unclean for any, way, any, any purpose. And you would submerse your whole body. You'd sort of like, you know, tuck up in a ball and get all of your body parts below the surface of the water, which has a very utero kind of sim, uh, like scene, right? Like you can imagine somebody in utero, like... And then you would come out of that mikvah, through that, and you'd be cleansed in order to go into the temple. And in every mikvah, there was an entrance for the water, which had to be flowing, and an exit. And so they would say that the water of the mikvah is living water. It's moving, it's active, it's not stagnant or stale. And so Jesus says, not anything about the fences, but would you like a drink of living water? water. He offers her an encounter with himself. It's the well, not the fence, that changes the woman. It's the well, not the judgment or the condemnation or the good-hearted neighbor who wants to be, make sure you're aware of whatever sin it is that changes her heart. It's the well. Uh, we don't have a screen this morning, so I'm going to draw, if I may. Is that okay? Even if it's not, I'm going to do it anyway. So that was a rhetorical question. Imagine that you have inherited a massive amount of land on the plains of Wyoming. Wide open spaces, as the Dixie Chicks say. <clears throat> Any country fans out there? None? A couple of you? Everyone's like, heck no. I listened to country when I was in college. We went to the country dance, bard, bard dance thing, you know. Everybody has a season of that. It's okay. <laughs> I'm getting myself in trouble. Wells and fences. Imagine you've, you've inherited a, a, a whole plot of land out in the, the Wyoming fields, uh, the plains of Wyoming, and there's thousands of acres out there, friends, and you have this gigantic, massive amount of cattle that you have to care for, shepherd, feed, ensure their safety, so on and so forth. So what, what might you do? Well, one option is, of course, to build a massive fence structure to keep 
the animals in and to keep whatever is outside that would threaten said animals out. So you build a fence, you get posts, you, you, dig, you dig holes, you all the way around, you, whatever area you want. And, and the more resource you have, right, the bigger the fence you can build. But you build a fence to keep the animals safe. That's one way to skin the cat. Sorry to the cat folks in the room. The other way you might do this with all your cattle is not to build a fence, but if you know anything about animals, you know that they're smart. And so you dig a well. Because everybody knows that the animals can't live without water. And so if something can't live without something, and it knows that it's there, the idea would be that they won't stray too far from the well because they will die. That's correct, friends, die. So two ways of trying to assess or deal with your challenge. Now, if you will, make the transition with me. These are not cattle, but these are people. And these are not examples of the Wyoming frontier, but a spiritual community. There's a couple of different ways that you can organize yourselves and see yourselves and hold your beliefs as a spiritual community. You can do so with a fence that ensures who's in and who's out, where you stand, and these fences become our beliefs about any number of things, right? Baptism, the end times, dancing... The organ, drums, guitars, how you vote, sex, coffee, communion. The beliefs that a community might hold actually become what determine the community itself, and how one enters and how one... And so the question, this is, by the way, called a bounded set. This, on the other hand, is called a centered set. This is a psychological term came up with by a few guys I can't remember. The question that matters most in this way of thinking about community is do you believe what we believe? If you believe what we believe, the gate swings open. You can enter. If you don't believe what we believe, you stay on the outside looking in. These are the bad people. These are the good people. These are the saved people. These are the unsaved people. Right? Everything's very simple and easy because everybody knows the rules and the regulations and how far you can go and how far you can't go and what happens when you do. It's very easy. It's a bounded set. This, on the other hand, and the question that matters most is, do you believe what we believe? In a centered set, the question isn't, do you believe what we believe? Certainly what you believe is important, but the most important question, and it's highlighted by Jesus, is, are you thirsty? Uh, that sounds very different to me. The question that matters most here is not, do you believe what we believe, but are you thirsty? And what's in the well? What's in the well? Bounded set communities make moms 
sit in the back row of their own daughter's communion or confirmation service because they didn't check the right boxes. Bounded set communities tell you this is the Lord's table, but actually it's not your table for these reasons. Bounded set communities insist on a certain interpretation on matters of freedom, like drinking and music and communion and so on and so forth. Centered set communities differ greatly. I want to just go on record for a moment and say this. At Awaken, as we navigate who we are and what kind of community we want to be, I have no interest in building fences. I have no interest in spending energy and effort patrolling the edges to ensure they're set and they're hard and they're fast. Now, does that mean anything goes? Absolutely not. Because what's in the well is absolutely critical. And we're saying, and the Gospels are saying, and the Bible is saying, that the life and teachings, death and resurrection of Jesus is the well. So the way in which Jesus lives as a human is the way in which we're called to live. So not anything goes. But the first question is not, do you believe what we believe? The first question is not coming from a position of power. The first question is not immediately dictating and determining who's in and who's out. You see how, the, how that differs? The first question is one that comes from a totally different place. Are you thirsty? That's the kind of community we want to be. One that's marked by that kind of question. The rabbis, they have this lovely tradition of asking the best question. So when studying in, in, the, in the ancient times, when you're studying the scripture, the question wasn't, what's the answer? Do you believe what we believe? Actually, it was, what's the next best question? That was how you knew that you were, you were like moving along and, and learning, was that you were wrestling with the text. Two completely different paradigms. And I want to say on record that Awaken is intending and setting out to be a community that is marked by a well of living water in the center where we say, are you thirsty? Not do you believe what we believe. Religious fundamentalism, and quite frankly, any form of fundamentalism, is absolutely predicated on the assumptions of a bounded set. This is where fundamentalism, wherever you found it, comes from. And quite frankly, it's not that hard to do. It's really easy. It doesn't take any maturity or any critical thinking skills whatsoever to live in this, because everybody knows the answers. They're, they're all written down, and it's very clear. We're looking for more than that. It, it only requires the ability to follow the rules. And we're looking for more than that. And quite frankly, as your pastor, I want more for you. So we're not going to do this. And many of you probably, I'm guessing, if I, if I know this community, you've come from places or experiences where this was probably more, uh, this was more, you could, you could describe your experience more like this than this. And that's why you're here. Now, I want to spend the remainder of my time just briefly, I want to talk about what drives this. What are the, how do we get here? What's, what's the underlying uh, thing that, that, that drives this kind of an experience? And what does it take to do this? So what drives fence building? What, what's at the, uh, the core of it? What's below it? What's beneath it? I would say first and foremost, fences and those who build them 
of which I have been included, right? We all have in our own ways. This isn't an us-them, let's point fingers. But fences, when they're built, are driven by fear. They're driven by fear, which is just very interesting to me because in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth, right? Adam and Eve are set there as the first humans, and, and there's shalom, there's peace, there's wholeness between God and humans and the world that we live in. And God says to Adam and Eve, you have a job, a responsibility, and it's to steward and care for creation, right? To rule and subdue, the text says. Now, what that means is they have a job, they have a role, and that job and that role is to care for and steward all that God has made good and called good. What that job did not include was the knowledge of what? Good and evil. You've done it. Genesis chapter 3. And the serpent said, did God really say? When Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what is introduced is a variable into their job description that was never intended to be theirs. So the desire that's in us to stand as judge over and above, not to determine, not to discern, not to be wise, but to stand as judge over, that desire that we have which drives fence building was never meant to be ours, which is why it feels so gross when we're under it and when it happens to us. Our job, our role as humans was to care and steward for the world that God made good and to entrust that job, that role, those keys to the divine. So when Adam and Eve make that move, what's introduced is not anything that's a part of our experience that's intended, but rather actually not intended. And what's really fascinating is the first question in Scripture that God asks after Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where are you? Which I just love. Sets the whole trajectory with a God who's pursuing, right? A God who's leaning in. Where are you? Instead of, what have you done? Where are you? Where have you gone? And Adam and Eve's response, we were afraid. And so we hid. What drives this desire that we have, this insatiable desire that we have to build fences to ensure who's in and who's out, who the good guys are and who the bad guys are? It's fear. Which is so interesting because the scripture talks more about fear than any other topic. Do not fear is quoted more in scripture than almost any other command. Isn't that so interesting? Do not fear. And yet what drives the very thing that we do that separates us is fear. And then when we have that desire and we build these fences, we, we have this bizarre compulsion that we need to defend God. Have you ever met religious folks like this who feel just compelled to defend God or the Bible or the flag or prayer in school or whatever it is, right? And they feel like it's their job somehow that God has asked them to defend God's honor. Can I just say for a second, I don't think God needs any of you or me to defend God, quite frankly, I mean, if I were going to pick somebody to defend me, it wouldn't be me. <laughs> right? And it wouldn't be you. God doesn't need you to defend God. That's not your job. God is not up there going, I wonder who's going to come to bat for me today. I wonder who's going to protect my honor. I wonder who's going to put a stake in the ground for me. I, I don't think God needs us to do that. Fear. Fear is what drives that. I would say also control, our desire to control. 
I want to suggest that fear drives it, but also control is lurking behind every fence that we build. And there's so many things in our world that are out of control, right, that we can't control, which drives us batty. It actually makes us feel quite unsafe. And on the list of things that humans like, safety is pretty high. I think it's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And so we will take any security and any control we can get. And often it comes in the form of fences, which at the end of the day don't actually control anything, right? Because the bad guy always gets in. The wolf in sheep clothing always makes their way in somehow. So we have this illusion of control that we can protect whatever it is that we're trying to protect. And in fact, if we actually think about it, at the end of the day, you can't protect it. You know, parents, you, can't, we, you know this. You want to protect your children, and you want to create a fence where nothing can get to them, but guess what? You can't. But we want to, because we think we can control it. What drives our desire to do this? Fear and control. Now, what does it take to do a well? If we don't want to do this, if we think, if I think, and I'm asking you to consider that this goes the opposite direction of the gospel and, the, and what Jesus is talking about through the scriptures, and this, on the other hand, is what Jesus is inviting us to, then what does it take to do it? First and foremost, and this may seem obvious, but it takes a true source. This actually has to do what it says it's supposed to do. If people come to this well and they become more judgmental and less loving, if they become more hypocritical and less authentic, uh-oh, I'm getting in your grill. Have you ever met people who like, found their way to church and they actually become more of a jerk? That's a problem, right? That's a serious problem. This has to be a true source that actually gives life. If it doesn't, then, and we're anchoring our lives to it, and we're centering this community on it, then foolish are we. But how wise would we be if, in fact, that this is the way to live as humans, and this actually does give life, and we said tenaciously we will defend that. We will, we will lift that, a bad choice of adjectives. We will lift that up. We will say, this is what we believe brings life. Try it. You may see. Try it. Try it. You might like it. I wish I knew more. Dr. Seuss right off the bat. It has to be a true source. And I'm submitting to you this morning that that's what the Gospels are contending. That's what the Gospels are offering. That's what John is saying. That's what Mark, Luke, Matthew, the whole scriptures is saying. That the life and teachings, death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ is living water and it brings life. That's at the center. It's got to be true. If it's not, we're all sunk, right? And I don't think it is. I, th I think it is true. That's why I'm here. It also requires trust. If you dig a well and you surround, and, and you don't build fences, and you ask a community to center itself on it and surround, surround this well, then there's a certain level of trust that you have to have. Because part of why we build fences is because we want to protect those on the inside from what's on the outside, right? And that makes some sense. It works in part. But it only takes a little while before we realize that we can do all we want to try to hem it in, and it won't actually work. Do you guys watch the Discovery Channel? I have kids, and, you know, sharks, love sharks. We love sharks at our house. Uh, they have very small brains, sharks. Massive animals, very small brains. I held a hummingbird the other day, you guys. 
I was down in New Mexico at, with Father Richard Rohr, the Franciscan priest of all, you know, the Franciscans, they love the, the, the animals and everything, so I'm with the, I'm with the father, right? And a hummingbird flies into the room, and he's trying to get out, and he keeps hitting this glass, and everyone's like, oh, that poor little guy. And he comes, and he sits back down on the, on the ledge, and then he gets up, and he fly, tries to fly back out. He's not making it. We've opened a door for him, and he's just, his brain's so small, he just doesn't even know that there's another door open. So I literally, I walk over, and this bird is like right here. I felt like Francis himself. <laughs> and I, I, go, I reach down, and he's just, I can see like his beady little eyes. And I literally, I pick this little hummingbird up in my hand, and I, he's like right here. And I bring him over to the window and set him free. <laughs> it was like Discovery Channel, but real. So on the Discovery Channel, sometimes you'll see these uh, watering holes in like the middle of Africa, right? And you'll find that these animals, they don't stray too far from it because they'll die if they do. But there's nobody out there building fences around the watering holes. Like the elephants are not tapping down the stakes and drawing. They're not doing that. There's no fence anywhere to be seen. And so anybody and everybody can come to the, to the water. But you'll notice that only some of them drink. Right? And the other ones, they're watching because they trust one another in community to be able to drink and to be able to keep those who are vulnerable safe. We can learn a lot from animals. There's a great deal of trust that, that it takes to do a well, to center our lives and center a community around a well. We need each other if we're going to do this, because it can be vulnerable. It can be scary. It takes a great deal of trust, and I would say Lastly, it takes a significant amount of maturity. Guys, this is way easier. I said it before, I'll say it again. It doesn't take maturity to do this. It only takes the ability to know the rules and follow the rules. It doesn't take critical thinking skills. It doesn't take spiritual maturity or emotional maturity. It doesn't, which is why fundamentalist groups are often led by young people. They don't need people who are wise. If we're going to do this, and become a community that is centered around a well, where the question of greatest import is, are you thirsty, not what do you believe, it will require older people walking with younger people. It will require older people walking with young people in business, and in marriage, and in family, and older people walking with younger people wrestling with the scriptures. So, can I just stop for a moment and address two different groups of people in the room? If you are in the second half of life, I will let you define that. I'm not that dumb. <laughs> if you are in the second half of life, you may have felt like there's no place for you here. Because often in churches and in our culture, there isn't a place for you. I think that's antithetical to the gospel, and I think it's antithetical to just what it means to be human. I think it's actually really unwise. So if you find yourself there today, can I ask you, engage engage. I don't know what that looks like, but there are people who are probably sitting right next to you who could use your wisdom. There are people who are trying to figure out things in business that you've already figured out. There are people who are trying to raise their kids and they don't know what to do, and you've been there before. And you don't need my permission. You don't need to propose anything to the advisory team. Just do it. Invite someone to your house for dinner or lunch. Can I just let you in on a secret? To any of the young families with kids, 
That is a serious blessing and a huge win when somebody invites you to their house for a meal. Just do that. It's really simple. Engage, please. We need your wisdom. We need your discernment. We need your life experience. We can't do this without you. To those of you who are in the first half of life in the room, respect your elders. Honor their lives. Love them well by treating them with dignity. There is a very good possibility that they have done whatever it is you're doing right now two, three, and four times over. So ask questions. Be humble. Come with open hands, not assuming that you know all the answers. Be someone who asks a great question. We can't do this without each other. And we need everybody. And so this is a call to this community. If this is why you're here, a part of why you're here, and this resonates with what, who you are and how you see God and the scriptures, then let's do this and let's be all in together. Old and young. It's my firm conviction that what Jesus invites us to is not safe. Do you remember that from the C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, when she comes and she says, is Aslan safe? And he's like, no, heavens to Betsy, he's not safe. Are you kidding me? He's a freaking lion. <laughs> but he's good. This isn't a safe journey. It's not for the faint of heart. You may die, but it's the best possible way to live. And it's the most adventurous. I just went on this sail, and people always talk to Rick, who's the captain who runs this sail. They're like, is it safe? Like, am I, are you going to send my husband back to me? And he's like, I don't know. It can be really dangerous out there. But we will have so much fun. And you will learn so much. And I almost bet you, guarantee you, that your husband will come back different and better he will have learned something about himself in the face of fear. Come on! <laughs> so, that's my invitation to you as a community. This is the kind of church we want to be. And it's not for everybody. People have left because they wanted this. That's fine. Let me know. I have a list of churches I can send you to. But that's not this. I want to invite you to a time of silence. And I'm going to invite you to consider a couple of things. So if you would pray with me, I'll lead you to that space. And then we'll respond with a couple of songs as we close today. Good and gracious God, here we are and here you are. As we hear the sound of this water, this living water, I pray that you would invite us maybe one of two ways. Maybe we come here today and we're thirsty and we are longing for something that we have yet to find. And I pray, God, that you would be so present in the next few moments of silence to those who are thirsty, that they might come to realize, maybe for the first time, that what you say is true, that your life, your teaching, your death, your resurrection is a well of living water that will never run dry, 
will always quench the thirst that we bring. Or maybe in a different direction, as a community, as a church, as someone who follows you, what does it mean to be more like a well? Where we're concerned less with what, if someone believes what we believe, but rather, are you thirsty? So Holy Spirit, in the next few moments. My friends, if you have any need for prayer, maybe you are, maybe you came here today and you realize you're thirsty for something um, and want to share that or have someone bear witness to that. Our prayer team's available. Know that. Please receive this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace, my friends. Love you. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.